Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. So much. Those nominated for the best performance by an actress are Catherine Hepburn in The African Queen, Vivian Lee in A Streetcar Named Desire, Eleanor Parker in Detective Story, Shelley Winters in A Place in the Sun, and Jane Wyman in The Blue Veil. And the envelope, please. The winner is Vivian Lee in A Streetcar Named Desire. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and today we're going to be talking about the 1952 Ceremony Year win for Vivian Lee for A Streetcar Named Desire. If you have listened to this podcast before, you have known that I have actually agreed to do this episode with a recurring guest that we have, a fan favorite. Uh, She is the host of the podcast The Pickup, which is about the WNBA, and she is also a professional screenwriter, and she's also uh, just a lovely person. It's Catherine Niker. Hey, Catherine. Hi, how's it going? Good. Thank you so much again for doing this. Always happy to be here. A pleasure. A proper. It's a. It's like a follow up episode to it, our Blue Jasmine episode with Kate Blanchett, which is very exciting. It's our first follow up episode. It's true, and I am actually when we talk about Vivian Lee, we can talk about some of those. Um, parallels because I remember when we watched Blue Jasmine, you're like, "This is literally streetcar," but I'm mm-hmm. glad the changes they made to Blue Jasmine. And <laughs> I guess we'll talk about that when we talk about um, a streetcar. But before we jump in, just very quickly, the 1952 ceremony year, uh, Best Actor went to Humphrey Bogart for The African Queen. I think it should have been Marlon Brando, but okay. Uh, Best Supporting Actor went to Carl Malden for A Streetcar Named Desire. Best Supporting Actress went to Kim Hunter for A Streetcar Named Desire. And Betty Davis actually accepted her Oscar on her behalf. Uh, Best Director went to George Stevens for A Place in the Sun. And Best Picture went to An American in Paris. So, so, okay. So this was a very interesting year because you have two performances here uh, that are maybe like 20 minutes long and they're nominated for, so for example, Shelley Winters in A Place in the Sun and then Eleanor, especially Eleanor Parker in Detective Story. Like you don't even know that she's in the movie. Um, but Kim Hunter probably had more st- Screen time than any of the other two actresses that were nominated for a lead in a streetcar named Desire. So there's some sort of, yeah, there's some interesting category choices um, for sure in this movie. But um, anyway, I don't like to always, I always say that I never watch these movies in any particular order. I always like to just sort of just jump in in the general order that I watch them in. Wait, so let's just, Kyle, can I yes. stop you for a second? Yes. I, I'm so sorry. I just realized i haven't seen a place in the sun <laughs> i'm so sorry i thought okay. i saw them all do you know what if you haven't seen a place in the sun i will mostly be the person talking about it then clearly but it actually is a very brief performance as well it's basically like eleanor parker and detective story <laughs> 
Okay, yeah. I'm so, I feel like such a jackass. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, it's fine because actually if it makes you feel any better, Shelly Winters, there's no freaking way she would have won this Oscar. So (laughs) she couldn't even be part of the conversation, I don't think. There's just no way. Okay. Um, (laughs) But then I will, it's, listen, it's five movies. I get it. It's a lot. And we have had kind of a crazy couple weeks, so I get it. Oh, uh, okay. Well, actually, then, if that if that is the case, then then I I'll talk about Shelley Winters first. Um, in this, I'll, I'll talk about Shelley Winters first because we'll just kind of get out of the way. So, A Place in the Sun. So, this is the movie that um, George Stevens won Best Director for. It's actually a fantastic film. I loved it so much. Um, so uh, a poor boy gets a job working for his rich uncle and ends up falling love falling in love with two women. And one of these women is, of course, uh, Elizabeth Taylor. And then the other woman is Shelley Winters. They really de-glam Shelley Winters in this movie because she's kind of like a factory worker. She works on the uh, on the factory line. And um, this is where Montgomery Clift, who is a total babe, by the way, um, this is where he kind of comes in and meets her. And it's forbidden for them to be in a relationship. And of course they do. Um, I'm not exactly sure why it's forbidden uh, to have a relationship with one of the factory workers, but it is. And I guess it's just a plot point. Lazy writing, maybe. Um and then, okay, so Montgomery Clift, he comes in and he uh, immediately is caught up with Shelley Winters. He ends up knocking her up. And the whole story is basically about he ends up falling in love with Elizabeth Taylor and she's rich and has a much more glamorous life. So he kind of is more interested in Elizabeth Taylor. But the problem is that, oops, he knocked up Shelley Winters and he has to deal with that. And in the. And, uh, well, actually, I think it's almost like three quarters of the way through. I think it's almost like the end of the second act. He accidentally kills Shelly Winters for having, like, for being pregnant. And then um, that's kind of the end of Shelly Winters. And then the rest of the movie becomes a thriller about how Montgomery Clift is... Uh, able to either get away with it or does he get caught? And in the end, um, he ends up being sentenced to death and he dies, even though technically uh, the death was accidental. They were out on a boat at night. He was going to kill her, but then he's like, no, I'm not going to. But then um, they have this like little fight and then the boat loses balance and then they both fall into the water and then, she drowns and he lives. So it wasn't actually intentional, but anyway, just talking about Shelly Winters um, performance here specifically. So um, she, Shelly Winters developed very mixed feelings towards the producer and director, George Stevens for making her look so non glamorous alongside <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor, which fair. Cause Elizabeth mm-hmm. Taylor in this movie is just absolutely stunning. And um, Shelly Winters role, moreover typecast her in sort of this, 
mousy or sort of brassy part for years of her career. And Winter said that she drove a white Cadillac convertible similar to Taylor's in the movie for years afterward to sort of compensate for her intense feelings of inferiority while making this movie. And honestly, I can see why she would feel that way because, yeah, they they did Shelley Winters wrong in this movie. They did. <laughs> they did her dirty because like she's obviously a beautiful woman, but they like kind of made her look like a bag of potatoes next to Elizabeth Taylor. Um, so it's almost like the audience is like, yeah, kill her because she's pregnant. Ugh, who wants that? Yeah. And in an era where like everyone had to be a certain type of beautiful just to even be an actress. Right. So it it would have been a greater risk in like the early 50s than it is like today, you know? Well, at first I thought that Montgomery Clift, because it's like his rich uncle who says that Montgomery Clift, he he saw him he saw Montgomery Clift on a quote business trip in Chicago. I'm like, mm, right. <laughs> it's his business partner, right, on a business trip in Chicago. They were at Fire Island. Let's keep it real. Yeah. They were fucking. Um, but no, he actually genuinely is just his coincidentally poor nephew. But um, okay, so talking about Shelley Winter's performance, so it is um really shines whenever uh she has this desperation to get montgomery cliff to you know be there for her and their child together and the more time that he spends with elizabeth taylor the more and desperate her performance becomes and which makes it very um realistic it makes it you have all of the sympathy for her um he obviously spends more time with Elizabeth Taylor and then she becomes incredibly insecure about that. And then she starts to get to a point where she becomes so desperate for uh, him to, you know, come back to her that she starts threatening him. And whenever he takes her up to the lake, I'm like, run, bitch. <laughs> like, what do you what do you think he's doing? Oh, yeah. The, the woman that's driving me absolutely crazy. Oh, let's just go on a little trip to the farm. It's like, oh, girl, what are you doing? You got to run away. Um, yeah, it's also not the only movie on this list where having a child or not having a child completely like ruined someone's life. <laughs> <laughs> like it's kind of a common theme. I wrote that down in my notes. I can't remember which one I wrote it down here, but I said that this this year for roles for women. I mean, or not just the year, but like this time, it was like either about having babies, about how they couldn't have babies uh -huh. or how they're trying to have a baby. Uh -huh. And like, that was it for women. Like that was their role in society. And these were the types of roles that they played on screen, except yeah. for Catherine Hepburn. Right. She's kind of like, that was always kind of her thing. Like she always kind of, she was a very feminist type of, for the time, especially type of, um, the roles that she took were always very feminist, I suppose, for the time. Um, right. But Shelley Winters in this movie, I think, yeah, it's it's really not until because you really don't really see a lot of time. Uh, you don't really spend a lot of time with her. And it's really not until they kind of go to the lake house and, and talk things out. And then whenever she becomes incredibly insecure and she um, is so desperate for him to leave Elizabeth Taylor and come home to her. The thing is, though, is um, you don't really see her a lot in this movie. She easily could have been a supporting role. Um, she does a lot with it. I think that um, she 
I think they did do her dirty with the makeup. (laughs) And I also wrote down the way that they used to kiss in movies. They would just like smush their faces together and like squeeze their shoulders like they wanted to crush each other. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I think too, like at least, you know, with with Shelly Winters, at least she is an integral part of the story. Yes. Even though like her screen time isn't as long, like as we get into it, I mean... I think there's one movie here where I wouldn't even consider the character an integral part of the story. (laughs) And then when you, you know, and then later when we talk about a streetcar named Desire, it's like there's a, a, you know, the role of Stella was in the supporting actress category. And I think she could have been a double lead. It could have been a double lead nomination scenario. So it's funny to see how like those kinds of conversations with the Oscars goes all the way back to the fifties. Cause I remember a while back we were having that conversation with Nicole Kidman in the hours and how it was really a supporting role kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, like even back then there were roles that kind of towed the line a bit, but at least she was a significant part of it. Well, I think that the All About Eve, like Betty Davis and Baxter controversy was probably like, I think a year Mm. before or maybe two years before this. So I'm I'm thinking maybe it was the year before. So maybe that's why... um, Maybe that's why Kim Hunter didn't go lead because they didn't want to like split the vote. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I don't know, but I would I would say because I know that you said that you hadn't seen this movie, A Place in the Sun, of all of the films in these this is five, the one I should have watched. This is the one you should have watched because it's actually like such a good I'm movie. The worst. I'm the worst. I'm I just, you know. I'm just the worst. I apologize. No, I mean, it's, I, I get it. Five, five movies is a lot of movies. It would be easy to like forget to watch one of them. No, but... I, because I, I love this podcast. I love the assignment. That's why, you know what I mean? So it's not a burden to me. I just genuinely <laughs> forgot. Well, you know what? I mean, uh, they forgot to put makeup on Shelly Winters. There was, this was a very <laughs> forgetful year. Oh, poor Shelly. But you know what, though? I mean, I I always say to, so this is to the listeners, whenever I have guests on this podcast, I always say, hey, like, no spoilers. Don't let the audience know who you're going to pick. But even though you didn't see this movie, I really don't think that you would have selected her as the winner anyway. So so it's not really the end of the world that you didn't see it because it's a fine performance and she did exactly what she was supposed to do with it. She has moments. And like I said, it's really just the moments of desperation to me that are the most interesting scenes from her. Um, But it, felt more like ugh, this woman is just a burden because she's pregnant and i found someone hotter so ugh. and like <laughs> that was kind of the and you're just kind of like okay well i don't think i'd want that to win an oscar you know and then uh and, and again category fraud is real here yeah definitely supporting yeah but amazing movie a place in the sun i would highly recommend watching it it's okay, really good well, i'm gonna watch it afterwards and then and then maybe like we can do a bonus thing for your Patreon or something. Oh yeah, I love that. Yeah, It'd be twenty dollars to subscribe for the for the five minute <laughs> for hot me take. To finally watch the movie. <laughs> They're like, finally, we've been waiting for this. Um, okay, well, just on the subject of incredibly short performances in you know long movies, then let's talk about Eleanor Parker in mm-hmm. uh, Detective Story. So. Mm-hmm. This is starring Kirk Douglas, a.k.a. Michael Douglas, a.k.a. Oh, the man yeah. who haunts my dreams. 
I think Michael Douglas is the scariest man in the world. Like if he played like a villain or something, I think he would win an Oscar immediately because he is so like, I actually purposely after watching this movie rewatched behind the candelabra. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. He is so creepy in that movie. Like whenever he like goes up to Matt Damon and he's like, come here you for like a kiss. And you're like, Oh my God. Like, it's just, I'm sorry. I don't care if there's any Michael Douglas stands out there, but it's just, I find him so E.B. Cray at, uh, like I just I really find him and Willem Dafoe they terrify me that Willem Dafoe has an inherently built scary face it's and in the movie the the Northman I was I was on a plane watching the Northman or the Norseman or whatever this movie is called and I was coming down from M because I was coming back from a bachelor party in Louisiana and the M like kicked in at the wrong point I oh, it like no. reactivated in my system and then there's this fucking terrifying scene with Willem Dafoe like in a cave and I remember just like having a panic attack because it was like a new like form of fear of Willem Dafoe because everything he plays terrifies me that's so wild. I feel like with uh, Michael Douglas, like I just feel maybe maybe uh, listeners will disagree, which is completely fair. I just feel like he was sold to us as this heartthrob, and like I never saw it. <laughs> I never saw. Maybe in Wall Street, he was pretty like handsome in a suit. Yeah, but even like Basic Instinct, I was like, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I don't know about that one either. <laughs> I mean, like, because it's like you know, like somebody like a Brad Pitt, like. Like, sure, like I'm not like fantasizing about Brad Pitt, but like I see it. But I see it. I totally know. Yeah, I know what you mean. But that's fine. You know, he's still a good actor. And then this is, and then this is his dad, who led to his nepo baby life. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk Douglas was he was a good looking guy. Yeah, he was cute. Um, but very quickly, so a, de- a detective In that, like story. Michael Rapaport sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, enough of roasting the actors. Fine actor. I love Michael Douglas as an actor. I just, I just find him terrifying. But anyway, um, d- detective story. So uh, on one day in the 21st Precinct squad room, assorted characters from a backdrop uh, from the troubles of hard-nosed detective Jim McLeod and uh, uh, Kirk Douglas is, is Jim McLeod. And this movie is basically the uh, poster for... Um, the abuse of power by police. There's a lot of police brutality in this movie. There's a lot of, I don't need evidence. I can just beat the shit out of you, which like, I'm sure was really sexy in the 1950s, but this is certainly not a movie that's aged well. Um, No, not at all. Lee Grant is in this movie and probably has way more screen time than Eleanor Parker. uh, And much more of a lead than Eleanor Parker. But again, Eleanor Parker in this movie can't have kids. Oh, we're noticing a theme here. And and then you find out that Jim McLeod, who is trying to bring down this doctor who performs illegal abortions, uh, you find out that Eleanor Parker, his wife, uh, like, like Kirk Douglas's wife in the movie, had an abortion one time and then she is wearing the scarlet letter and then he hates her and then they ultimately just get divorced it's yeah and it was like something that happened like a long time ago when she was young like prior to their relationship yeah she comes in and 
her first scene, she's like, oh, hello, like at the precinct. And she's like, I would like to report a missing husband. I'm like, okay, I already hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, this is easily one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why I forgot to watch the other one because this one was such a chore. Oh, but no. um, yeah, I don't recommend it for pretty much anyone um, unless you're just <laughs> so curious to see why we think it's so bad and like, if you go into it knowing you're watching a bad movie, like maybe it can be more fun, but it's just like, yeah, it, it's, it's police officers who don't care about the rules, which is like the opposite of why one should get into policing. Yes. <laughs> and it's just a lot of like, I mean, it's the Marlon Brando chauvinistic personality, but in cops, Right. And and is normalized in a way that is like in modernized kind of terrifying. And maybe like I, it's so hard to tell if back then that is just how people saw the police. Right. Like, I'm not sure. But it's just like this wild thing where like these guys are like really unhinged and they're driven by emotion and they want to arrest people based on how they feel events took place. I actually even found the plot of this movie hard to follow. Cause but like a lot what of, plot? You know, there was no plot. There's kind of no plot because there's just a lot of people coming in and out of this precinct for various crimes. And then Kurt Douglas sort of like reacting in irrational ways to all of them. Yeah. And they're they're not connected. Like all the people that kind of come in and out of this place are not connected to one another in any concrete way. And then he finds out this like backstory about his wife. And then he feels like so much shame has been put onto him and his name because this thing happened before he had anything to do with her life. And then, and then can I, wait, can I spoil the ending? Of course. <laughs> so the end, it's like, there's this criminal, I don't even know what he did exactly, but there's this criminal that it has been there for a while and he's a little unhinged. And then he pulls out a gun and then they're telling Kurt Douglas's character, like, don't come on, man. Like, don't be an idiot. Cause he's trying to be a hero and he's trying to like, fight this man with a gun but for some reason like he's unarmed even though he's fully a police officer and then, <laughs> and then the guy shoots him and he dies and then in my head i thought to myself so we all agree he's an idiot yes <laughs> at least we all agree he's an idiot and i think that's the film's only redeeming quality well yeah because like was he likable like into a 1950s audience like was that like did they find him charming because he is not charming no and it's like is it because obviously this movie hasn't aged well or or because he always just comes in and he's like criminals grr and freaks the fuck out on people assaults them and then they're like what are you doing kid you can't do that to any of our criminals and he's like i take the law into my own hands like it's just He's like a he's like a cop renegade. Like it's yeah, so stupid. Yeah, and, and then his poor wife. <laughs> I mean, well, okay. First of all, I wrote thirty six minutes and eight seconds into the movie, and Eleanor Parker has been in the movie for one minute. Right. There's a fact here that says at twenty minutes and ten seconds, Eleanor Parker's performance in this movie was the shortest ever to be nominated for a Best Actress Oscar. Wow. 
Dame Judi Dent won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for her role in Shakespeare in Love. It says that her screen time was only five minutes and 52 seconds, but I feel like it was like 12 minutes. But anyway, this is the second shortest performance uh, Oh, behind Well, it's like, what's his name in The Fablemans that got nominated this year? He's like in one scene. Oh, Judd Hirsch. Yeah, he's in it for like like five minutes. And then Beatrice Strait in Network. I think she was only in the movie for like five minutes. But here's the thing, though. It's like, yeah, like, but they're supporting. Yeah. Like, I can, I can, I kind of love a five minute Oscar nomination because it's kind of like, that's kind of hard to do. But in this case, 20 minutes lead. This isn't her movie. She's not in this movie. She's not a lead. Lee Grant is in this movie more than her. She is far from a lead. Yeah. So in the original play, Dr. Schneider was a provider of illegal abortions, but the production code rules forced Weiler, William Weiler, to change the nature of the man's business to owner of, quote, a baby farm. Uh, this was just a shady practice of letting unwed mothers give birth discreetly and then give up babies for orphanages. So, like, whether oh that was the case or he was performing illegal abortions, I couldn't figure that one out. But you're right. It was hard to follow. It was extremely hard to follow. It was a lot of like nonsensical male energy and uh and it really goes nowhere. Nowhere. It's a I real mean, it's a real much to do about nothing actually. Like nothing like major happens. Like it's not a movie where like like something happens to a protagonist and then they need to make a decision that alters their life. Like, like we know kind of classic movie structure to be like Mm -hmm. nothing really happens to him at all. He's just like living his life. And then, you know, you're like at more than halfway into the movie where you find out this fact about his wife, the character played by Eleanor. Mm -hmm. And, and then he just feels great shame about it. And then the fact that he gets shot at the end has nothing to do with anything. Nothing. And this is after, because they, because Kirk Douglas and she, because he finds out that she had this procedure, this illegal procedure before they even met or got married. But of course, back in the day, it was like unforgivable for a woman. Yeah, it's implied that she was very young and he and whoever, you know, knocked her up for lack of a better term, uh, was very old right like it's kind of implied that it was not even necessarily consensual yeah there's just i have a lot of questions and when she comes in and then the head of the precinct is like questioning her and she's acting very suspicious and then she kind of like breaks down when she gets caught with kirk douglas and then they break up Mm -hmm. but then they get back together again and then they break up again and then he gets shot and i thought because you don't see her reaction to his death. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty right. sure she'd be like, good. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I just, because he was like, just garbage to her. And then she was like, fuck you. Like, I can't, we clearly can't get past this. But to talk about this performance to win an Oscar, if it, was it because of the subject matter, perhaps, that was like, ooh, she's talking about, like, abortion. She's talking about something so naughty. So, like, maybe that maybe that led to the narrative of leading to an Oscar um, nomination. Honestly, like, I think there – I mean, I'm putting on a bit of a conspiracy theory hat on here. But, I, I mean, it feels like it's a Harvey Weinstein type situation. Yeah, I that see that. That she would even be in the category. 
I see that just because there's really not a lot going on here. Like, she has moments. I'm not saying that she doesn't, but I just don't think that there's enough to warrant a lead actress, you know, nomination because... Yeah, uh, it it would be like, um, is her name Via Mariga? What's her name? She, um, from The Departed. Oh, well, let me just look this up. Do you remember because... The Departed? Oh, my god! I gosh. couldn't. I, okay, so fun fact. I literally have only watched. Them. No, I got 12 minutes in, and it was so the definition of toxic masculinity. I was like, yeah, Vera Farmiga. Yeah, it would be like if her character was nominated in Best Actress. She's like the only woman in this movie. <laughs> and oh. she has very little screen time. It would be like if she got a lead actress nomination. Like that, that to me is like the equivalent of, of screen time. I was just trying to think of another, like, more modern example of that. I always use Talia Shire in Rocky because she's in the movie for, like, 12 right. to 20 minutes. And then she got a lead actress. And it was like, yeah. oh. um, I think, let me think. Because at one point he freaks out. Kirk Douglas freaks out, calls her a tramp, and then defends himself by saying, quote, I didn't invent the word. You're like, oh, okay, then it's time. <laughs> And then the whole thing like becomes about him and how hard it is for him. And then like he becomes the victim because his wife is quote a tramp. And don't yeah, forget, yeah. he didn't invent the word. Yeah. This is and- why this is why no one wants to time travel. Okay. Yeah. This is why you don't. You think you want to time travel, but you don't. They break up, get back together in four sentences. Um, he accuses her again of being with other men, and then uh she accuses him of being oh god what is this there the whole thing she's just like a prop in this movie for like a very confusing plot and i just don't really think that there's enough there but if anybody was ever unclear on what toxic masculinity or police brutality (laughs) was pop it in and check out this movie i think you'd like yeah it's showcased in such a normalized way like like this is the world yes yes you know like this is just the world these are facts you know it's not showcased in a way where like this is a troubled man or this is like wrong in any way like he's he's the hero of this story and i think if this story were told today he would be the villain of this story very true mm-hmm. absolutely or if he was the anti-hero maybe explain why because apparently it had something to do with his criminal father which is why he hates i'm like let's explore that right yeah yeah so it's the it's the difference between being a hero then and being an anti-hero now absolutely yeah. okay let's i think we should move on yes Okay, let's talk about Jane Wyman in The Blue Veil. Mm -hmm. So this movie has... uh, Okay, so due to legal complications with the estate of Francois Campo, author of the original story on which the film is based, The Blue Veil is out of circulation and currently unavailable for viewing. So the version... I don't know if you watched the link that I sent you. You know what, Kyle? I have to tell you, I'm so sorry. I forgot to see this movie. Are you serious? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, I was like, did we watch any of them? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my god, I was like, okay, I think we need to end this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Yes, uh, no, you sent so me a link, and I absolutely watched it. Yes, it's so, well. Now that you say that you absolutely watched it, it sounds like you didn't. It sounds like you're just lying. No, now. no, I <laughs> promise you, I did watch this. 
No. Oh my God, though. Okay. So the quality of this film was so bad. It was like difficult to see. Like at one point it looked like, you know, like whenever people like are going to rob like a store. So they put like a stocking over their face and it looks like a sausage of like all of their features like mushed into the it's a drag race season one filter (laughs) yeah like i couldn't i was like who is that i was like who are they like at one point because this is through when she is young um in like the early 20th century or even the late 19th century because they were talking about corsets at one point so i'm like maybe maybe like but it goes through large eras in time and it's almost hard to tell you couldn't tell like if she was old or young because the the quality of the film was was so bad but anyway um uh, of all of jane wyman's roles this is actually her favorite and prior to production betty davis was the front runner uh for this but very quickly so um louise mason is a young widow who fills her empty life with the task of becoming a children's nurse as the years pass and the widow tries to find her own place in life her young charges the children of various employers grow and soon find themselves ready to face the world when it seems that she will be alone a nurse uh the nurse finds that her quote-unquote children have ideas of their own in regard to helping their beloved mentor and that was a really weird description i don't know why that was the description of the Uh movie but basically she's like mary poppins for like a week and then she moves on to another family and that's and they all become super attached to her um yeah. I love. I liked this movie. I liked Jane Wyman's performance. She was just way too much of a martyr for me. That's an interesting take. Yeah. So at the at the beginning of this movie, we find like she loses her baby shortly after childbirth, um, reasons not explained, <laughs> and then um, and then she also lost her husband in war, so she's like alone. And then she goes to like an employment agency and that's how she becomes a nurse, which was a real like no one understands PTSD here. (laughs) (laughs) It's a major like what the world looked like before anyone understood PTSD. And yeah, so then she becomes this like mother figure to all these other children while never having one or being able to move on in her life. Um, and it kind of feels like her whole life is sort of like defined by this one moment, which on one hand, I felt like kind of irked me as like a modern woman just being like, you know, like you can move on, you can move forward, you can meet someone else, you can start life again. But then I also understand the psychology of just never moving past a moment. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I thought this was a very meaty role. I did feel personally that her performance was a bit subdued at some times, which I think was more a reflection of like the era or maybe even the directing. Like in that first scene where she finds out she doesn't like like her baby's passed away, it was almost like a gay gasp right of a reaction <laughs> you know what i mean like it wasn't really a lot of like raw emotion and then we're able to see it more towards the end as like her life unfolds and it becomes a bit more tragic in its loneliness but at first it's like you don't really get to see that emotion that i would want to see but a part of me was like maybe that was just a reflection of the like keep calm and carry on mm-hmm. era that this is sort of in does that make sense yeah that's true but i mean in talking about whenever she loses her baby when you say like gay gasp i wrote down the first thing i wrote down was she loses her baby and is very clever when she's devastated because she just covers her eyes with her hands yeah 
as a way to like to actually have to have any big moment or a big emotion it's like just cover your face or bury your face in a pillow yeah that was kind of funny to me yeah i thought so too and and i (laughs) like i i think like as she gets older the the film and who she has as a character actually becomes more interesting i felt Yes, she definitely becomes more interesting as she uh, ages uh, because I think she starts to accept, okay, this is my life. I'm always going to be a widow and a childless person. But the thing that just drove me nuts is she was just too perfect and and everybody loved her. And she was just this super sad, sad, tragic figure. It was like this... It was like this this poor little kitten that was struggling in vain to get out of barbed wire for two hours. And you're just, yes. it's just, oh, it's so sad. I can't believe, so please help her. Oh, she's, she was just way too much of a tragic martyr that like it became almost like repetitive. It was like new family. They fall in love with her. Okay, she yes, leaves. It is new family. Thing. They fall in love with her. She leaves. And it, it the only time for me that it actually became interesting was whenever that woman goes back to the UK and just like fully abandons her kids. So um, uh, Jane Wyman ends up having to essentially raise this little boy. And then like, w- what, like a decade later, the the birth mother comes back and is like, mm, I changed my mind. And yeah, that was crazy. That that all everything there, I was so into, and you felt so bad for her, and you felt yeah. bad for the child, and I think that was for me like the Oscar moment was in the uh, like the judges' quarters when they were like deciding. Yes. Yeah. That was that whole sequence is extremely well acted and executed. I felt like you really feel for her in every corner of that. Like that was probably the most riveting part of the whole movie. But um, I agree with you in terms of like the martyrness of it all, because I feel like nothing in this movie really explains like why she didn't try to remarry. Why, you know what I mean? Like, why, why did she just resign herself to the fact that like this is her life? Like, it, it feels like she would have had other options. And also, it's an era where a lot of women lost their husbands in war. You know what I mean? Like this is an era of time where there were a lot of young widows in the world. Like it wouldn't have been so shameful or so uncommon to be that person that you think more support or options would have existed, but maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't. I don't know, but she had so many offers like everyone was just proposing to her like and and then she'd be like no i don't want you to make a decision uh based out of desperation or when you're um in a a bad place mentally and you're like again because she's just this martyr and it's like yeah oh like no like that's so unrealistic because it's like if you were this poor person who lost everything and then you have this rich i mean i'm just talking right now about the corset owner at the beginning the guy that makes like yes the corset factory guy i can't remember the fuck his name was but that to me would be like my golden ticket i'd be like oh okay yeah let's let's get married i love like your kid he was so painfully unattractive though i know but he was like properly unattractive well money makes people attractive but also you know (laughs) that's true and also like there are just fewer options for for women in terms of just like your life choices and he was very like kind and like 
sort of understood that like we're friends in this. Yeah. Um, rather than like a sexual partner. But yeah, yeah, you're right. She did get offers and it doesn't really explain why she says no to them. She just yeah. And like the it's these types of movies that send out uh, you know, those kinds of messages to women, especially during this time, and it's so impers- impressionable that like women have to be absolutely perfect and always just be able to like serve whatever man in whatever way like i'm sure a lot of guys were jerking off to this role like do you know what i'm saying right (laughs) right she's like she's like mary poppins with no magic yeah and like anything else is just the most tragic option or the most tragic thing you could possibly be which is it's like really ridiculous how we got to that place as a society considering there are just so many people on planet Earth that don't fit into this role. Like it's I know. Just, most of us don't. <laughs> most of us don't. So I mean, you know, shout out to the boomers who <laughs> 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 kind of changed a thing or two, you know? Um I realized about three quarters of the way through whenever you could see, because there was obviously that lovely Vaseline smear on the quality of video, but she, <laughs> yeah. she kind of looked like Florence Pugh a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I see it. And then like that was because she because Florence Pugh always kind of like puts her hair in like some kind of a braid in some way, like she'll like braid like over the top or like she'll have her hair like in kind of like a bun. And I think at one point in the movie, Jane Wyman had like a little bun. And then I was like, oh, my God, it's like you look exactly like Florence Pugh or well, obviously Florence Pugh looks like Jane Wyman. But it was like all I could see for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Which is which was just kind of cute. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I did think that the aging makeup was well done. Yeah. Based on the quality of video that we could see. <laughs> we think we think it was we good. We yeah. <laughs> think it was well done. Like like I it felt like she looked older in a natural way, which I thought was impressive for this era. The reunion at the end, uh, where all of the children that she had raised got yeah. together, it was so gushingly sappy. And in the end, they offered her a job and that was kind of like the end because she she couldn't find employment and i was like yeah she was like aging out of employment yeah and they were like you're too old to take care of kids and then she was like okay and and but she needed to work and then i thought that the 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 rich kid was gonna be like thank you so much for raising me like let me take care of you but instead he was like thank you so much for raising me here's another chore yeah like (laughs) i was like oh um but also like it i think what it was was it was just reinforcing forcing or validating like her purpose in life which as the film puts it that's what her character needed yeah and so it was like kind of like a happy ending in a weird way that she got to keep taking care of kids because that's like you know all she does it was an emotional movie and it was an emotional role and i'm sure for the time this was probably like a real tearjerker it's compelling and obviously this is a product of its time but i actually especially compared to the other movies i very very much enjoyed this performance and i very much this is actually a lead performance it's actually a lead performance the whole thing's about her she carries the movie fully i don't think there's a scene in this movie without her yeah like yeah like the movie is her and uh i agree this is for it is a product of its time but it's very much a meaty role yeah 
I would say. Yeah. And, and she did a great, I mean, I, aside from my like initial saying at the beginning, like you don't get that raw emotion reaction when you find out her, her child dies. I think that was more of a directing choice and, and kind of a choice based on the era that you don't show those like raw grieving emotions fully. But other than that, like I, I, I did think it was a very solid performance. Oh, for sure. And uh, also uh, Jane Wyman uh, in this, let me see here. Also, Jane Wyman in this movie. Uh, you can't find it. Nobody can find this movie. But listen, if you guys <laughs> just Google it, there's a crappy version of it. But it's actually worth it. Do you remember the toy store owner? Yeah. What a dick. Like, he was <laughs> such a dick to all the kids. They're like, I want a Periscope. He's like, I don't know what that is. And he's just like... <laughs> What? You're in the wrong business, man, if you hate children so much. Yeah, he was kind of a weird, he was a weird character. He was because they weren't even, they didn't have any romantic, even someone implied that he and Jane Wyman were like romantically involved and he got so offended. Yeah, like, is like, I, yeah, I didn't understand his character at all. And then at one point in the movie, it's like the toy stores closed and then the science is due to death. <laughs> Toy Star clothes due to death, and you're like, damn. Like, they're just, they were just that real about it, like, on the door. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. That's funny. I don't remember that. Honestly, I, it's such a, it's just a, such a quick flash. Like, she goes back to the toy store, and there's a sign that says Toy Store clothes due to death, and then they cut away. <laughs> you're like, okay, I guess that's like, where... did he just, like, I don't know, like, did they fire him? You know what I mean? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. They're like, you're a dick. You need to leave. Yeah. I think it's a real, like they fired him and then just like cut out the rest of his scenes or something. It was really weird. He got fired by the child. By the child. (laughs) Child was like, this is the fucking kaleidoscope, bitch. And then like beat him to death with it. I don't know. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Okay. But seriously though, uh, yay for an actual lead performance by Jane Wyman. Finally. (laughs) Hey, best actress listeners. Enjoying the show? Want to hear more? Access our entire catalog of Best Actress episodes from the very beginning ad-free by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bestactress. By subscribing, you will also gain access to new episodes one day earlier than their normal release day. Best Actress Podcast will always have 10 free episodes available, but with the release of a new episode, the oldest will go to Patreon where you can access it anytime with your subscription. Come on, ladies, it's a Fritz Bernays. It's no question. Visit patreon.com slash best actress to subscribe. Okay. Um, let's talk about Catherine Hepburn in The yeah. <laughs> African Queen. So uh, last episode that we did was Catherine Hepburn in The Lion in Winter and Barbara Streisand for Funny Girl, The Tie, the famous tie. Um, and I have seen many Catherine Hepburn films i've seen the african queen before uh humphrey bogart won this oscar and i would argue it probably should have gone to marlon brando since every other acting category was oh i a would one thousand percent argue that this feels like one of the great robberies because in a way i feel like because humphrey bogart lost for casablanca so maybe this was kind of like a this is your moment like it's a career moment or something i don't like know like making but... it like making up for something else and then yeah. like marlon brando's like very young at the time so it's like okay he'll get his later right. it's very that kind of scenario but just what... looking at the performances themselves 
just it's wild. it's just wild yeah absolutely but uh, okay so very quickly the african queen in world war one east africa a gin swilling canadian that's right i forgot he was canadian a <laughs> uh, canadian riverboat captain With is no pers- canadian accent at, at all, all. At no all. if Our anything Lord. he even was like southern he was like hello Catherine hamburton no i'm joking um <laughs> but he's persuaded by a straight laced english missionary well also it's not like Catherine hamburton had an english accent no no at all uh, to undertake a trip up a treacherous river and use his boat to attack a to attack a German gunship, and for the time, this movie is super fun and it's like super adorable because, like in the actual footage, the the boat the the boat that's called the African Queen is like going through these violent treacherous rapids, and then the water is like pouring onto the ship and the ship is about to flip over but then when they cut to the studio footage of them it's like someone's just like throwing a glass of water onto Catherine (laughs) Hepburn it is like literally like we've cut to like model boats yes going down like tiny model boats going down some like little model river and then we cut to just buckets of water being thrown in their faces with a blue backdrop cut back to the models i mean you know insert music it's hilarious and the movie opens on a colonialist uh colony struggling with a very uncoordinated sing-along with some locals uh weird opening is what is what i'm saying it was just a and katherine hepburn's at the piano and she's trying to sing and i was like what is this but um according to katherine hepburn's autobiography um, John Houston, who is Angelica Houston's father, mm-hmm. there's a lot of nepotism in these movies that we've been talking mm-hmm. about, um, found her performance, Catherine Hepburn's performance, a little too rigid. And then one day he visited her hut and suggested that she model her performance on Eleanor Roosevelt, saying that Mrs. Roosevelt was not a comedy, uh, was not a comely woman, comely, C-O-M-E-L-Y, comely. Oh, okay. Never heard that word before. Maybe calmly woman uh by any means but whenever she was in public she carried herself well and had a beaming smile she made uh she made do extremely well with what she had and after houston left hepburn sat for a moment before deciding that that is the best piece of direction that she's ever had on a film so i guess he was like you should smile more which women love that and that was the best advice she ever got (laughs) apparently (laughs) I will say of all of the films, though, because I'm sure people listening to this, if you are if you're familiar with these films, I'm certain that you've probably seen the African Queen before. You know, this is one of those movies that I actually like sat back, watched and enjoyed. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't like like especially with like detective story. Like I think I had to watch that movie in four parts. Like, Detective Story is one of the most unwatchable movies I've ever watched. Like, of all time. So this movie, Walt Disney used this film as the basis for Disneyland's Jungle Cruise attraction, which makes sense. And uh, to show her disgust with the amount of alcohol that John Houston and Humphrey Bogart consumed during filming, Catherine Hepburn drank only water. And as a result, she actually suffered a severe bout of dysentery. And apparently when they were shooting on location in Africa, every single fact that I read about this movie was about everybody getting diarrhea and getting sick. Oh, my God. And I was going to, like, list off some of them, but it was just, like, Catherine, like, I was overwhelmed with the amount oh of 
they were shitting in a bucket. They it was were the second act of Triangle of Sadness. <laughs> 100%. Oh Oh my god. Yeah. It was Frances McDormand in her fucking bucket of shit in Nomadland in her van. Like it was oh that level. God. But it was all the facts were this. And I was just like, I'm not gonna I, I'm gonna mention it, just be like, hey, FYI, but it was overwhelming how many facts there were about how sick people got on this on this trip. Wow. On 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 location, I mean in Africa. Yeah. That um, is that that makes a lot of sense actually. But this is a fun movie. It's a fun performance. I actually kind of like their chemistry on stage, even though I only see Catherine Hepburn as like a queer icon. But um, the only complaint that I have about this performance is she moves on from the death of her brother very quickly. And again, like you were saying, is it, it do we not linger on these emotions because that was the time? And it's like you gotta just get up and 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 you know yeah get on with it. It, it was that why I, I don't know, but I thought that, that of all I'm not not that I'm complaining about the performance, but of all the moments of the movie, that was the one thing that I was like, your brother died, and you're really chill about it. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, I I I agree on some parts and I disagree on some parts. So okay. one, I do think the movie speaks more to a modern sensibility, just in terms of its pacing. Not in terms of its subject matter at all. Right. Uh, the subject matter <laughs> of this movie uh, doesn't age well, in my opinion. Um, but it has a modern pacing. It's like the only one in color. Um, mm. And I think, it, yeah, it does speak to a modern Hollywood in that regard. I personally, I can't believe we're going to disagree on this, but I can. And I think this is very funny. I thought... Catherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart in this movie had like no chemistry. Okay. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I'm the only person who feels that way. I thought they had no chemistry, but I think it's also because Humphrey Bogart in this movie is just like a dirty drunk right. who's beneath her. And I actually like couldn't even wrap my head around why these two would even be together. Like I like I you feel the film forcing them to be together. So it's not a complete surprise when it happens. But I was just like, I have no idea what this woman <laughs> sees in him at all. Like he has he has he no, I just don't see it. He like like she is. OK, her and her brother are missionaries. Okay, so they are like these very religious people who are spreading the word of Jesus, you know, in unnamed African village. Like you don't even yeah, know what part right. of Africa you're actually in. <laughs> right. And and, you know, that's a whole, you know, controversial practice onto itself. And then, you know, the, this these German people come and like light the village on fire and some people run away and some people get captured. We don't learn about what happens to them anymore. We're not even supposed to care uh according to this movie and then we're just on some like romantic boat journey right. that wouldn't survive any of the ordeals that 100%. this boat actually goes through and i'm just like wait a second is this a comedy because when you yeah. read the plot of this movie you would never think this is a comedy and then you're watching it and i'm like is this a comedy I, well, I mean, okay, so there, there's a lot. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there because 
the, okay, so the yeah. talking about also that is really funny that they were like Africa. <laughs> you're like where where, where? They're in like, Africa? Yeah, they're like you know Africa. That that's funny. Um, that yeah, it was e- East Africa. But okay, so the the chemistry between Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn. The reason why I did think that it was there is because they were like equals in the sense where it's like oh, like we need to literally weld a propeller in a fireplace and 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 forge this in a fire and then put it back together and she was so insistent on helping with that kind of stuff and she's mm. very much like a a fearless sort of not your typical sort of like english lady like listen Catherine Hepburn's always playing Catherine Hepburn you know what yeah, i mean like yeah. there's no range there and and that's fine you know when you're really 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 good at something um somebody said that recently about uh, Hugh Grant it's like Hugh Grant just does one thing very very well yeah. and He's always doing it. And you're like, okay. And I think Catherine Hepburn, that, that's very much with Catherine Hepburn. But I think that's why I, I I saw their chemistry was that she would get into the water with him. She would literally help like weld a fucking propeller and like, and like forge it in like a fire. Like it's just sort of um, refreshing for a female character to be doing these types of things. And be- so I thought in that kind of regard, like they had <clears throat> um, sort of chemistry. But again, I also am saying that as a person who only sees Catherine Hepburn as a gay woman. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, That's yeah, yeah. That's very like, fair. That's very fair. So I'm like, I'm very aware, Jodie Foster, that like I, you're not into this, but like, whatever like it's like when i watch two straight actors play a gay role i'm like okay yeah yeah that that makes a lot of sense to me i i thought her performance in this is very like well when you explain the eleanor roosevelt angle to it i was like oh my god i could totally see that in this role because i i thought it was a really cute performance and i don't necessarily mean that in a bad way right like she's a very cute woman if that makes sense like she's very yeah. cute she's very smiley she's very cheery even when things are are grim but in a way that's like you know because he humphrey bogart's character is just a drunk who is honestly like what like his character it's just such a huge no (laughs) (laughs) but you know like she's just very cute and she's very charming and she kind of like brings out the best in him i think maybe like i have my own personal bias and it annoys me because i'm like this guy does nothing for her other than helping her with like basic survival in like a treacherous under treacherous conditions but you know maybe that's hot too in the moment (laughs) maybe maybe, you know i haven't been in that scenario maybe that would be hot to me even if he was a total drunk but (laughs) Uh, yeah, I think she's like a very cute character. She is a cute character. It's that whole, you know, lady in the tramp thing. Like, it's not like, yeah. you know, this this super groundbreaking kind of thing. But it, the adventure of it is is uh, a lot of fun. Um, whenever I still don't understand how at the end. OK, first of all, when the German ship finds them. Why would they get captured immediately after the boat sank? And then they're like, well, we need to kill you because clearly you're a spy. But then you're like, you could have easily avoided being seen by anybody on the sea. Why did you go directly into the ocean where the Germans are coming from? And then second of all, how did the African queen launch that missile when it sank? 
And of course, obviously, it's perfectly timed. So that was also kind of annoying. And I was like, what? But the thing that I that just tickled me was um, in the last scene where they're swimming in the ocean and they survived and, you know, we got our happy ending and stuff like that. You can clearly tell that they're on a soundstage because they're supposed to be in the ocean, but you can hear this horrible echo of everything <laughs> they're saying. <laughs> and I just, I love movie stuff like that where it just kind of ruins the fantasy a little bit yes. um but honestly like for the time and like shooting on location because that wasn't very common um i think it was david lean that made that really common with uh with uh, lawrence of arabia and, and stuff like that but up until this time it's right. like yeah they, they didn't do a lot of like on location shoots and stuff like that and not in this sort of way so this was probably a very groundbreaking type of action film for the time yeah it probably was very groundbreaking in terms of its um i'll call them practical effects right because right? they're not digital effects but practical effects um in addition to actually being on location in africa uh to it being in color like you can tell like money was put into like the production value and quality of this yeah sure. and Catherine hepper yeah. knows how to carry this type of um role this type of uh picture i i don't know if there was like this big journey for her character emotionally speaking but no. It's a it's a fun performance. I've seen this movie um, a few times. It's actually my aunt Diane's favorite movie. Your aunt's name's Diane. My mom's name is Diane. Okay, well, she's married into the family, but yes. Oh, okay. Well. Uh, <laughs> we're not blood related, uh, but yes. <laughs> is it the same Diane? It's the same Diane. <laughs> that would be the ultimate twist. Um, but anyway, you know, it's... It's listen. It's Catherine Hepburn. She's great. It's it's just uh, like it's instead of Catherine Hepburn in a castle, like in uh, a line in winter. It's this time. It's Catherine Hepburn on a boat. I'm sorry. Like oh, yeah. I just also the end. Sorry. Uh, I was gonna say they're like kind of like leaning on like like a large wooden piece of something. And that kind of looks like a door. And then I thought of the Titanic. I was like, yeah, I, I thought the same if, thing. Too. I, I was like, I wonder if the Titanic was inspired by that moment because they actually look like similar pieces of wood in the water. That's funny. I, yeah, that's all I see as well in that moment. But anyway, I, I listen, I, I feel like, yeah, this is just such a, I think Catherine Hepburn should have two Oscars. I don't think that she should have four and I do also think, and I feel like this is just this is such a controversial opinion, but I just, I, you know, it's like, I, I love Catherine Hepburn films, but I just, I'm always aware that I'm watching Catherine Hepburn. And that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I mean, when you're doing this podcast, it just, sometimes it starts yeah. to seem like the same performance over it, and over it, again. That makes a lot of sense. It's like her type of acting is a brand yeah right. right like i think we see that more now in like comedy you know what i mean like 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 adam sandler films are a brand right you know what i mean drew barrymore films in the 2000s were a brand right like things like that and i feel like we just don't see that as much with dramatic actors because i guess there's just more pressure on them to show like range mm -hmm. but it makes sense that an actor would have a brand so yeah yeah, I, I, mean, I, you know, I this was my first time ever watching this movie. This was actually the first time I, I ever heard of this movie. 
Um, maybe because I didn't grow up in a fully white household. <laughs> that might be part of it. But um, I could see why it was a hit at the time, but it doesn't like personally like resonate with me the way I've I've heard other people talk about it, if that makes sense. I think so too. I think that there is a like rom-com adventure aspect to it yeah. that maybe we're not uh, seeing beca- or, or not seeing as much because we have since seen... I'm sure this movie was like the first of its kind in a way. And yeah. then now we've seen things that are done much better uh, that we feel more connected to and also maybe they have a little bit more of obvious chemistry but like i i know what you i know what you're saying yeah like look like i like honestly like if podcasts are still a thing like 20 years from now or whatever that equivalent becomes some like newer person some young person is going to watch love actually and they're going right. to be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to reflect poorly on us as a generation, you know? Oh so my God. I get it. I mean, I what would be the ultimate what the fuck moment of that movie? I would have to, I would either think it was um, Laura Linney and like her brother that like can't speak, but like tries to hit her. And then like she ends up dating her sexy hot coworker, but then like can't have sex with him because the brother that doesn't speak keeps calling. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- like that, they're gonna that... look at the cat. They're gonna be like, "Wow, like Emma Thompson's in this, Kira Knightley's yeah. in this, <laughs> Alan Rickman." Yeah, Alan Rickman's in this. Why is this movie so bad? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I f- I seriously fucking love love actually though, and it's just it's all- I watch it every Christmas. Yeah. Oh my god! But you're right. It's definitely gonna be love, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk about Vivian Lee in a streetcar named Desire. So we actually recently did Vivian Lee for Gone with the Wind, mm-hmm. and if you, if, if anybody listening has listened to this episode, like you, Catherine, I gotta tell you, it was no fucking question that Vivian Lee was supposed to win for Gone with the Wind. Yes, like it wasn't yeah. even. It wasn't a it wasn't the competition. Like when you watch all of the other nominated performance, because you did have, um, you did have Betty Davis in there for dark victory, but it was just like, even still like, yeah, these, when Vivian Lee, when she, so both of, she's been nominated twice and she's won twice. And each time that she does, she always brings these extremely, um, flawed people that go on these emotional journeys and at every single stage it's like you always know where she's at and if you don't that's what makes it interesting because you're like okay what's going on right now because um i found a okay so very quickly a streetcar named desire so disturbed blanche dubois moves in with her sister in new orleans and is tormented by her brutish brother-in-law it should say sexy British brother-in-law. Sexy Mar- abusive, yeah. Uh, oh my. <laughs> While her reality crumbles around her. So the first point that I wrote when I, because I always make notes when I watch these movies. The first note that I wrote was Marlon Brando, that is all. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Also, you you couldn't get fitted tees made at this time in history. So they actually like made that, they sewed him into that t-shirt to really yes to make his chest appear larger and to that be like is more incredible yeah that is so, actually incredible yeah and then 
obviously Blanche Dubois comes into the scene. She seems a bit off. And then I started to remember you telling me Blue Jasmine mm-hmm. was a streetcar. I prefer the changes that they made in Blue Jasmine because sure. there is a lot of violence towards women in this movie. Yeah. It is not that it's necessarily hard to watch because like, you know, that they're like clearly from Broadway, but it it, it was like, it was like, at one point, like Marlon Brando um, literally takes uh, Kim Hunter outside and like just starts punching her. Yeah. And you're like, whoa. And I, I didn't realize that Marlon Brando, I-, I didn't know that he, that it was that violent towards women and that he was such an asshole and that he was literally tormenting. I mean, at one point it's mm-hmm. implied, I read online, he rapes Blanche. Oh, really? The part at the end when he wouldn't let her pass. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, so he, so that was what happened. But because obviously because of the ethics code of like the 1950s, they couldn't show that. But I read online and like, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. So this is a very dark movie. Well, and then there's that line towards the end where he's like, I never touched her, but it's like not convincing. Right. Um, Okay, first of all, like, let's talk about Marlon Brando for a bit. And then we'll talk about Vivian Lee. Talk about like a stars born moment. Yes. Like Marlon Brando is phenomenal in yeah. this movie. This movie is a classic movie for a reason, you know? And, and even though like the violence towards women is difficult to watch, but it's not painted in a world where like he is right somehow. Yes. You know what I mean? Where right. like when we talk about like the detective story movie, it's like they're toxic masculinity is painted in a righteous way and in this movie it very much is not painted in that way and i think it actually dares to dive into the nuance of actually being in an abusive relationship Mm -hmm. and and what that really means and how like and how difficult it is to just leave you know And, and and he is a abusive Uh, but also a somewhat nuanced character i would say like he like they refer to him as a monster like multiple times in the film but he isn't just a monster like he is a layered complicated person who can't hear the word no he's he's also a drunk he you know is a laborer he's all these different things and i think he you know marlon brando was probably an impossible person to be around but he he, uh i get that vibe yeah you know but he really does give this character layers and and he is marlon brando for a reason and my god what a what a performance what a performance what presence what like he does so much and that's so that's so true um what you're saying about uh that they presented in a way that this is something that that would exist in this world yeah and it doesn't present it as like a as a as oh this is just the way it is or this is a good thing yeah they present it in a way where it's like he's the villain he's an asshole like he's a piece of shit yeah um i also loved the way that uh stella comes remember when he's calling out to her and she gets up like she's being summoned and she she gets up and she just slowly walks towards him and then she kind of just falls over his shoulder and then he carries her to bed i'm like 
Yes, because this is often something, especially in abusive relationships, is that we we often go back to our abusers. And um, while all of this is happening, Blanche Dubois, her uh, Stella's sister, is going through so much crazy because she she's like in denial about everything that happened and again so this was something that they had to take out because of the ethics code um so her husband that committed suicide he committed suicide because he was a homosexual oh wow i didn't even know that yeah, so that's what the actual reason was because of the movie and because of, like, censoring and stuff. Oh, they, so they... it's like you censor so much that now, like, I'm, like, I'm not even catching on to it. Exactly. And there were things that I was kind of like, oh, okay, because I found a lot of the dialogue in this movie was very muttered almost. They, they, they spoke very quickly. And, like, if you missed, like, a detail or two, you'd be like, wait, what's happening? Yeah. Because at one point, Vivian Lee, like, she just starts, like, talking to herself and and she's like has these like fantasies about these trips that she's going on and yeah. this, this cruise that's happening and and you're like you're like her like it's this slow descent into madness and for me i think my only criticism because you watch you know something like blue jasmine which is obviously um sourced from this film um i, I think i would like to maybe okay first of all i would like more than one set instead of it just being like in the house uh, or in the courtyard or upstairs i I wish there was more to play with there but then uh, i wish there were more beats where i could see stanley sort of driving her mad because a lot of the time stanley would actually have like a very reasonable he'd be like i don't believe you i don't believe that the house is just gone like you just lost it and he's like i need proof i need this i need that but those kinds of things were what was contributing to like the slow decline of like her mental health and i'm like would that drive somebody crazy because like he's actually asking like pretty fair questions or was it that because he was so difficult and scary to be around was that what was also making her crazy like i don't think it was a bit of both because i think she was also like lying about the state of her life right so it was the combination of trying to keep up the ruse of what her life is in addition to this man who's a monster kind of seeing right through her. Okay. Because, yes, I, I don't know. I just, maybe I'm just stupid, but that just wasn't clear to me. No, not at all. I, I, just, I think that's legit. I could, I, it wasn't clear enough to me just because, again, like I think about Blue Jasmine as, a, as maybe Blue Jasmine is just like ruined well, let's, for let's, me. Let's talk about Blue Jasmine for a second. Like, okay, I agree that like whatever adjustments they made, were better and more suited to like our modern sensibilities but at the same time it's like could you imagine like could you imagine me writing and selling a show about uh, a mob boss who owns a strip club who has a therapist and then never mentioning the sopranos right like that would be crazy (laughs) like that would actually be crazy and that is what they got away with and it blows my mind So that's kind of like what taints it for me a bit. But I think like with this, I I don't know. Like I, I think like her, her diving into madness feels more subtle to us than it probably did to the audience then. Yeah, true. 
and, and maybe it yeah and it and it isn't fully explained but that's my interpretation of it that it was just she was lying about the state of her life and she wasn't getting away with it and then she didn't know what to do about it right so like that's why like the relationship with mitch falls apart um and then in addition she had she's living with this very volatile abusive man who again is seeing right through her and she's run out of money and she has no other place to go and she's kind of trapped there. The relationship with Mitch was probably some of my favorite scenes in the movie. I love the way mm -hmm. that he was kind to her. And I also thought it was interesting the way that all of the men were like, yeah, Stanley, you're a fucking piece of shit. But they all kind of it was almost like this oh stanley but they also the boys, like didn't... boys will be boys yeah it and, was this but like men are like that like straight men are like that it's, like they, 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 they def i'm sorry like hello everyone listening but like truly like <laughs> like they will defend each other or like have their boys back mm -hmm. even when they know they're a terrible person yeah and if I you're mean... not and if you're listening and you're a straight guy and you're not that guy good for you we need more of you when okay so when well and and that dynamic i thought was very interesting yes. because it was like ugh, like why are you friends with him but then you're kind of like well you know you're all kind of defending him here right so it's like you're all a little bit to blame yeah well. they're all complicit yeah they're and, all complicit yeah but when, when you talk about um Whenever you talk about like she even had like little funny moments, like whenever Mitch was talking about his weight and then she goes like, yeah. oh, no, go on. It's awe inspiring. And just the way like I just thought she had like little cute moments. And um, when okay, so when Mitch finds out uh, when Mitch finds out and then they break up or like break up, like they end whatever relationship that they had. And then she has a bit of a breakdown and then Stanley comes back and then it gets violent. A lot of those scenes are really tough to watch. And of all of these movies, whenever you're seeing like the violence or the action scenes, they, they seem almost kind of silly for the time. But this, mm -hmm. this movie, I felt like it was difficult to watch some of the mm -hmm. scenes. And I think that that really speaks to the performances. And I really think it speaks to, um, uh, just the acting overall. Like I, I just thought, um, this I completely was a, agree. Yeah. Like it was, it was, <laughs> it, it Stanley scared the crap out of me, but I also kind of wanted him to hate crime me a little bit, like just for fun. Oh, we all like, did. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, not a good guy. And I am not condoning that behavior in any way, but oof girl. Well, I think the film is a little self-aware in that, they yeah. know that they know that that's how we're going to feel because they know he's good looking and they're and they're playing that to the audience in a way I think that is very intentional. Well, because in Blue Jasmine, Bobby Cannavale, who plays like Chili or yeah, whatever, yeah. Sally Hawkins. So, you know, that would have been sort of the Stanley in that situation. Yeah. His character is not like that at all. And the similarities no. with, with Blue Jasmine, obviously, is that, you know, she's coming from somewhere. She's lying about a lot of things. And then she has kind of a mental breakdown. And that's and also Sally Hawkins the, being the sister that just is always. And has a failed relationship with a man because she lies about her life. A hundred percent. So it's like, those are, those are definitely like the similarities, but, um, I 
mean, God, I I wonder if uh, Woody Allen, whenever he wrote Blue Jasmine, he's like, well, I can't recreate a, a, a character like Stanley. Like, like you're, there's just... no replacing Marlon Brando. Like you just it's, can't replace him. Like, you just it's iconic. Like, yeah, it really is. And which also like when, when we say like like he lost best actor and just like. This is a best actress performance, but it really is one of the great um, performances. It just is. And I it, and I think I what I like about the film is that they dared to go there in mm. an era where, as we've talked about, a lot of films wanted to, but then didn't. Right. Like they want to go there, but then they pull back. They they want to go there, but they're, you know, it's like it's like kind of cut short in a way. And like even the facts that you've given us, it's like they wanted to go even further right. and were held back because of the era. But I think what makes this film stand out and why it is a classic is because they really, really went for it in an era where a lot of people didn't. Oh, that's so true. And also, <clears throat> like, the way that Vivian Lee had her scenes with Brando, the way that she kind of tiptoed around him, but then sometimes the way that she would confront him. And then there were other scenes where like she would be making absolutely no sense, but she would still be trying to stand her ground. And yeah. I just loved the different ways that she would approach uh, Stanley and the way uh, that Blanche and Stanley sort of interacted toward each other, because every single time uh, that you would have Stella coming in, um, she always kind of needed to ground the two of them because they're both just extreme characters. And she, the way that she, everything is just very well balanced in this movie. I really, uh, really, really uh, enjoyed it. Um, but yes, we're this is a best actress podcast. Uh, but we, I, yeah, I can't stop. It's thinking an about acting it. tour de force. Like it is, it yeah. is truly something. Yeah, yeah. It's the, but Brando is truly wow. And mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, I've also mm -hmm. never seen On the Waterfront, so I want to watch that. Movie. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, maybe I'll watch. It's that actually after this. fantastic. It's a great movie. It held it. It it holds up. It holds up actually. Oh, great. Um, yeah. But 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 the but for me the Oscar moment for Vivian Lee is obviously at the end whenever mm -hmm. everything is completely unraveled and she's being shipped off to the funny farm and they even lie to her like oh those people that you're going on your little cruise with they're here and then she's like oh and then she you know is in denial about it and then she refuses but then she actually does accept that she does have to go and it's like this other lie that she's telling herself and it's just a very layered complex. Mm. rich like there's performance nowhere, there's nowhere left for her to go yeah yeah and I, I i really 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 enjoyed this film and brando's chest yeah this movie is um you know best actress aside is truly worth watching if you haven't seen it or worth re-watching i also even though it's a black and white movie the pacing of this film is very good like it doesn't feel like the slow um, movies that we often complain about it is a it does have a slower pace but it like i'm not falling asleep trying to watch this or i have to watch it in batches like i actually felt like <laughs> you could really keep up with this film oh i think so definitely yeah okay oh my gosh okay i think that we have reached the end where we have to select who we think that the oscar should have gone to so mm -hmm. Catherine niker you are my guest of honor please reveal who you think that the oscar should have gone to i think the oscar should go to
Vivian Lee for a streetcar named Desire. I think, wow, I, to me, this is a home run, uh, a slam dunk, if you will, multiple sports references. <laughs> WNBA, uh, the pickup. Check yeah, it out. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, to me, this is a no contest win. Um, talk about being in two of some of the greatest movies of all time, Vivian Lee damn um she really brings it she's you know she's not makeup wise made to look ugly but she does it just in her like aura and in her acting and and how she portrayal portrays this character and i think uh you know this this has been done in theater many many years over and it still is and i can see why actors are really drawn to this story because i think it's like one of those meaty like things that like actors love and like love to learn from and it 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 is a straight up classic for a reason yeah i love it okay um i think that the oscar should have gone to Vivian Lee for a streetcar named Desire. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I don't really think that there's really a lot of competition here. Frankly, I would almost say my runner up would be Jane Wyman um, for Blue Veil because I thought that her performance was um, it was a very good movie, but also like I enjoyed uh, sort of watching the whole journey of her character. The problem was that she was just so perfect. And so yeah. everyone just loved her. And because of that, I was annoyed because the reason why with Gone with the Wind with Vivian Lee that we selected her as the undisputed winner is because Scarlett O'Hara is super flawed. They do not present her in this like I'm mm-hmm. this beautiful, perfect uh, Southern Belle, you know. Also, Kim, we didn't even mention I was that just going to say we need British. to we need to mention Kim Hurt, uh, Hunter in this movie. Oh, the one best supporting actress. Oh yes, of course. Well, I, actually, you know, what I was going to say was that this is this this is the the second time now that she's won an Oscar for playing a, a southern uh, somebody with a southern accent because uh, oh, Vivian, Vivian Lee, is, yeah, who's she, British, yeah, she's British. We totally didn't even mention that. Like, like her accent is very good. Yeah, very good, very convincing. Like you literally forget she's British. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, do shout out to uh, Kim Hunter. And who I plays believe Stella, who won Best Supporting Actress, has more screen time than <laughs> two out of the five nominees in Best Actress. Yes. But uh, extremely well-deserved supporting actress uh, in this movie as well. Not that I've seen the others, but it's a, it's a great <laughs> performance. It's a, it's a truly great performance. And it's actually makes it even more crazy that Marlon Brando didn't win because I, I think out of all the fi- – there's so few films that have three um, acting Oscars. Like Everything right. Everywhere All at Once is actually one of the few films that has three acting Oscars. And Streetcar Named Desire deserves to be in, on that list. It really does. Absolutely. I would say that uh, uh, Brando was robbed for sure. I think if I ever do a best actor podcast, I feel like that might be my first episode. <laughs> <laughs> Just to talk more about Marlon Brando. Oh, easily. honestly worth it. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, as a as a real life person, I, I don't know too much about about his life, but I believe it was quite complicated. And honestly, if this is what he looked like in 19... 19- 
uh, 51 and then you cut to 1970 71 and he's in the godfather you're like what happened to this guy i know i thought what the same happened thing to this too. guy you know for him yeah. that is a physical transformation you uh rarely see he's unrecognizable 20 years it's later oh uh, but also like i mean i know there's like makeup and things like that and he put the things in his cheeks for the godfather but if you watch um apocalypse now which is only a few years later also completely unrecognizable unrecognizable so i've never seen that movie oh that's a, okay apocalypse i mean it's a very male movie there's almost no female <laughs> characters in it whatsoever <laughs> they don't even They're, have like a female horse <laughs> no like honestly there's like pretty much no women in the whole movie but um it that is a yeah that's a must watch i would say okay well anyway vivian lee ob- like undisputed yeah and and an undisputed I, winner undisputed like come on it's so twice yeah so the gone with the wind and streetcar it's it's yeah okay it's a classic um it is worth watching even in this modern era and um yeah it felt like an acting master class honestly between the three of them i agree okay oh my gosh Catherine Eicher thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast again where can people find you on social media uh, thank you so much for having me on this show uh, you can find me on social media at it's me underscore Catherine spelt C-A-T-H-R-Y-N and Kyle like I I owe you um, you know <laughs> if it's if it's for your Patreon if it's a bottle of wine I mean you let me know and we'll we'll make it work and thank you everyone for listening and i hope i i'm still a fan favorite oh i mean you gotta go watch a place in the sun it's really good (laughs) yeah i really do i honestly think that detective movie just took so much out of me oh it aged me by year i'm 40 i'm officially 40 because it was just so bad so i apologize (laughs) so i don't blame you okay uh thank you so much i will have you back again bye bye did you enjoy the show? Want to hear more episodes? Visit patreon.com slash bestactress to access our entire catalog of episodes ad-free with your subscription. Subscribers also get access to new episodes one day earlier than everyone else. Oh my god. Go to patreon.com slash bestactress to subscribe and I will see you all at Howard's Inn.